Let us pray. Blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. Father, we praise you that you love us so much that you gave your one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, to be buried, to rise from the dead. He's ascended to your right hand and you've given us your Holy Spirit, your very spirit, Jesus, to live in us. And you've called us to make disciples of all nations. Jesus, may my words bring great glory to you. Jesus, I praise you that you are the good and great shepherd. You know your sheep by name and you know every person here today. And you'll speak to them and you'll touch them with your love and your presence. Bring encouragement, bring healing, bring conviction, bring transformation, Lord. And we ask all of these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. You all may be seated. Welcome to the church at Woodbine. It is a joy and pleasure seeing each and every one of you all today, those up in the balcony, those online, welcome. I have a quick prayer request and then I have a couple of announcements. We're going to watch another video, three videos in one sermon in the or one worship service. Isn't it amazing? The first one is this. I quit football in ninth grade because I used to get serious, severe migraines after the first hit. And periodically, I will get a migraine. So as soon as we started worship today, I could feel it coming over my left eye. I cannot see in my left eye right now. So I ask that you all pray for me now because I can feel the migraine coming on. So just ask that you lift your pastor up in prayer because I can feel it. So if I can't see you over here right now, that is okay. But please pray for me. The second one is this. We are going to watch a video about our deacons. Uh, For those who don't know, every year we nominate men to be our deacons. We have four deacons right now who are currently serving. Wayne over here who plays the drum. He's usually behind the cage, but Wayne is our deacon chair. And then Marlon as well. And then Noel back here. And then Jorge right there. Those are our four active deacons this year. And so we're going to watch a quick little video. Then I'm going to explain a little bit what we're going to be doing. So enjoy this video. The deacons are the hands and feet of the church. But not anyone can be a deacon. As the church, we hold this position in high regard. In 1 Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul lays out the requirements for a deacon. He says that a deacon is to be a man worthy of respect, hold the deep truths of the faith, be faithful to his wife, and have great assurance in his faith in Christ Jesus. So how do we find men like this? They're nominated to serve by people like you. How that was quick, wasn't it? How do we find men like this? What did he say? People like you. It's actually the Holy Spirit who raises up men to be deacons, but it is the responsibility of the local church to prayerfully pray and ask him, who is God raising up in our congregation to serve as deacons? On the back, there's two black tables. Everybody, you can turn around. It's the only time I'll ask you to turn around and not look at me. There's a black table beside both sides of the sound booth. On that, you will see a piece of paper that say qualifications for deacons. And starting today, next Sunday and the following Sunday, you can go online. There are instructions on our online bulletin. So if you text 623-623 and write bulletin, you can follow the prompts on how to nominate deacons for the church at Woodbine. But first and foremost, pray about it. We've got two, three Sundays counting today, asking the Lord to show us who he's calling out to serve as deacons here at the church at Woodbine. Clear as mud? 
All right, good. Y'all are sleeping. You didn't even answer. Just nod your head. All right. Let's continue. Here in Romans chapter 10, I want you guys to stand up again. I'm going to read one verse out of Romans chapter 10. It's what Sandra read to us in Spanish. Sandra, thank you so very much. It's verse 14. Romans chapter 10, verses 14. This is God's word for God's people. This is what Paul says through the power and presence of Holy Spirit. How then can they call on him? They, how then can they call on him? They have not believed in. And how can they believe without hearing about him? Without hearing about him. And we'll talk about that. But Holy Spirit, may we hear your voice today. You all may be seated. We're going through this month why we do what we do as a church. Last week was why do we pray? And we looked at the most underlined Mark verse in all of scriptures, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Where God tells us, do not be anxious about anything. And I asked everyone, who here is anxious and gets worried? And we all said, we all do. And God calls us to pray. Why? Because he is sovereign and he is good and he's awesome and he's amazing. And he's a good, good father who not only takes us up in his arms, but he's also a mighty warrior who stands and defends and watches over us. And he works out all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. That is his faithful promise. And we will go through trials, temptations, tribulations, and tests in this world. And many times in this world, it does not make sense. But we are called to pray. God invites us to pray. He commands us to pray. And he wants us to pray. Today, we're going to be talking about why do we preach? Why do we preach? But before we do that, there are a handful of faces here that I just want to introduce if you don't know who they are. I'm supposed to do that. Go ahead and Brandon go, Katie. Brandon and Katie Bryant are standing back here. They're some of our global workers from Taiwan. They've just moved back to the States. They've got a little six-month-old Judah, Christmas baby almost. Okay, awesome. He is with us as well. They're living in our missionary house here on, on campus. So they just got back this past week. So welcome back. Let's give Katie a big round. Yay! We'll get you guys up here on a Sunday later on. All right? So anyway, that's who they are. And then Shay Clanton, who used to be an active member of our church for years, is sitting right there next to stuff. So good to see you. Welcome back. So let's give Shay. Most of you guys aren't going to know Shay. But. But she used to serve super faithfully on our worship team, was involved in small groups, and so welcome back. So glad you're here. So anyway, why do we preach? When the word preach comes to, when you hear that word, what comes to mind? Is it the corny preacher jokes that we hear all the time? Or is it corny preachers that we see on the news because of some scandal? Praise the Lord that I don't wear sneaker preachers, right? That cost like $500,000. But you've heard the jokes. I mean, I shared with worship team this morning. This is an awesome. You're going to love this. What do you call a priest who becomes a lawyer? It's a bad pastor joke. Father-in-law. Do you know who the shortest Old Testament prophet is? Nehemiah. That's right. The smallest people group that are mentioned in the Old Testament are the Shuhites. And the tiniest of the 12 apostles, you know who it was? Is Peter because he slept on Jesus' watch. Ooh, bad. Bad, 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 right? 
And you know what, what sport Joseph played in Egypt, don't you? Tennis. He served in Pharaoh's court. I mean, these are awful. Corny preacher jokes, right? And unfortunately, in our day and age, because we're becoming much more secular, but also because of many of the scandals of like celebrity pastors and preachers, in our day and age today, preachers in many ways, many ways, and pastors are looked at almost like circus clowns. And they're invited in to do weddings and funerals. And that's about it. What comes to mind when you hear the word preacher? What comes to mind when you hear the word preach? We are called to preach. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 15, he's eager to preach the gospel. We look at it right here, Romans 14 here. How can people believe if they've never heard? And how can they hear if they've never been sent? And when we think of maybe preacher, we might think of, you know, of a big, huge tent revival out in the field where there's a thousand people under this big tent and they got someone dressed like Colonel Sanders in a three-piece suit and he's preaching fire and brimstone and they're singing just as I am for 25th time so that that pagan backsliding youth who's sitting in the back will finally come forward to put his faith in Jesus. Now that is preaching and at times that is powerful and God has used it mightily. But is that the only way to preach? What about for the 99.9% of us who aren't preachers? What about us? What about our role? So why do we preach? Here we go in Romans chapter 10, 9 through 15, a little bit of context. Romans is the deepest, one of the deepest books in all of scripture of theology, and it's Paul's theology. Paul was traveling all throughout the Eastern Mediterranean, planting churches as we've seen in the book of Acts. But Paul was sensing from the Lord that it was time for him to go west, not to the Americas, but to the western half of the Mediterranean, because there was no gospel presence in what was known as France and Spain today. Northern Africa, like Morocco. We have to remember the context of Romans is when the early church was happening, and there were very few Christians, and they were scattering all throughout the Roman Empire, and even down into Africa, up into Europe, and to the east. But few had gotten past Italy, on into France and Spain. And God had given the Apostle Paul this burden for people who are lost. Because the reality is this, and most of us know this, but I don't know if we've truly comprehended in our hearts and in our minds that every human who is born, they're created in God's image and they're precious to him. Just as we see these dear families with little bitty kids, these children are precious and every human is precious in God's sight. But we're also sinners. And the Bible is very clear that we're born dead in our sin. We're born enemies of God. When we're born physically, we're not sons and daughters of God yet. Yes, we're created in his image, but we're born his enemies and we're lost and we're dead without God and without hope. And if we die that way physically, we'll be eternally separated from God forever in hell. It's horrific news and it's tragic. And it's one of the reasons why we celebrate mission trips and mission journeys and our global workers to go all over the world. Because right now, as we speak, there are two and a half billion people. That's what they be who've never even heard the name Jesus before. And if they've never heard the name Jesus before, how can they believe in him unless they hear about him? Am I making sense? 
There are many people even in the United States who haven't really heard the gospel. They might hear a little bit about being churched. And if you ask someone, oh, you got to be good to go to heaven. That's a lie. You have to be perfect, sinless to go to heaven or forgiven. And we can only be forgiven through the precious blood of Jesus. There's not a second chance after we die. Scripture is very clear. Man and woman, we live once, we die, we face judgment. That is reality. And it's a tragic reality. That even as I preach right now for 20, 25 minutes, thousands of people will pass away and die physically and they'll be eternally separated from our Heavenly Father forever. And it's not the responsibility of the preacher or the pastor or just the missionaries to make disciples of all nations. It's the responsibility of every man, every woman, young or old. It doesn't matter how rich they are, how poor they are. Those who believe in Jesus, it's our call to share Christ in this dark, lost world. So Paul was wanting to get to Spain because there was no gospel presence in Spain during Paul's time. And he was writing the Roman church. That's not the Roman Catholic church. That wasn't in existence yet. Existence yet. It was the believers who were living in Rome. Paul had numerous friends there, but he had never been to Rome. He had never been part of that church. And he was wanting to get to Rome to introduce himself so that they could help him get to Spain as a missionary. So he's writing to the Roman church, sharing who he is and what he believes. And right here in chapter 10, the first nine chapters of of Romans is all of his theology. Chapter 10 through 16 is the practical living of that theology in Paul's life. And so that's the context right here. Am I clear as mud? Okay. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 9. This is really simple. It's what Sandra read for us. Let's stand again. I keep forgetting. We we have had unbelievable technical issues. Y'all need to tell thank you to Chris and to Hunter after the service. We had nothing was working on the screen until about 10.15. And Hunter was running around all over the building trying to get it fixed. So Hunter... Thank you. And Chris, thanks for keeping him calm. All right, and I keep looking back there at the TV, but the TV's not working. And that's where my clock is, and so I got to put it here. Romans 10, starting in verse 9, this is what Paul is saying right here. He says, if you confess, he goes, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. One believes with his heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with his mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is that clear? If you confess Jesus your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, you'll be forgiven. And it's for everyone who does that, regardless if they're Jewish or they're Gentile, Greek, depending on your translation, that is the truth. And then it's what we read just a second ago. How then can they call on him? They have not believed in him. And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear about without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet 
of those who bring good news. All right, you all may be seated. There is simple logic in verse 14 and 15. How can they call on the Lord Jesus if they've never heard? Of, if, they, if, they, if they've never heard? And how can they hear unless someone is sent to tell them? All of us have a worldview. All of us have a grid for how we see truth. And Paul is using very simple logic right here. There's a picture I've shown in the past. It's called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. And John Wesley taught profusely that our worldview has to be based. The foundation has to be scriptures. You see right here, scriptures on the bottom. Everything we do, everything we believe, everything we live out, even the stuff that we experience or even feel, we have to filter it through what scripture says. And it's vital to also understand what is tradition. A lot of us think that tradition is bad, especially in today's day and age. We have historical snobbery where we think that we are smarter and better than those who lived 100 years ago, 200 years ago, or 500 years ago. I have my grandfather's eighth grade history book. It is far deeper and more profound than what people are getting their PhDs are getting in history today. We are not smarter than our ancestors. We have greater technology, but it doesn't mean we're smarter or better. So we cannot and we should not just throw off tradition because it's tradition. In our day and age today, if you'll see experience on the left, most of our culture today bases their worldview, their their thinking, and how they live based off of how they feel. Why feel? Why feel? Why feel? Our experiences are important. But if I ask every one of us today, draw a circle on this white screen of how much your experience is compared to all the experiences in the universe, how big would your circle be on that screen? It'd be a tiny dot. And yet most of us base our life our lives on our own personal experiences. And they are important. But compared to all the experiences in the universe, how big is it? How complete is it? Our traditions, even our own intellect. If I were to ask you, draw a circle of how much knowledge you have compared to the knowledge of the whole universe. It would be a dot. So what do we live our lives based off of? Our own mind and reason and experience and logic? Our own traditions? Our own experiences? Or something far greater, far deeper, far more profound? God's written word. Am I making sense? So Paul is using logic and reason with this very simple argument in Romans chapter 10, verses 14. How can they call on someone if they do not believe? And how can they believe in someone if they have not heard? And how can they hear the gospel unless someone preaches it to them? And how can someone preach to them if they're not sent? Brothers and sisters, every single one of us has already been called and sent to share the good news of Jesus with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors, and with our coworkers. And we should never assume that they know who Jesus is. We show them with our actions who Jesus is, 
and we followed up with our words. There's a popular phrase that many people love to use, but it's not complete. And I think, well, I'm not going to say who I think coined it because it's from centuries ago, but you've probably heard, go share and preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. It sounds cute, doesn't it? It sounds profound. You know, our actions need to uphold what we preach. The gospel cannot be heard just through our actions. Now, the gospel needs to be seen in our lives. They need to see Jesus in our lives. But there comes a point in time where we have to share the gospel. Some will reject it and some will reject us. But how can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless someone has preached to them? Now, what is preaching? Here's a simple definition of preaching. But I think too many of us might think of just me standing at the pulpit preaching. But this is a simple declaration of preaching, and this is preaching, but it's not the only way. Preaching is this, to deliver a sermon or religious address to an assembled group of people, typically in a church. That's one definition. Another one is this, publicly proclaim or teach a religious message or belief. Earnestly, say earnestly, earnestly advocate a belief or course of action. That is a very simple definition of preaching. It could be the public proclamation like what we're doing right now. Or it could be a simple conversation one-on-one with your best friend, your mom, your son, your cousin, or someone in the checkout line at Kroger or Walmart or Sam's or Costco or Dollar General. And I don't want to leave anybody out. It's proclaiming and declaring the good news of Jesus. Why is preaching so important? Why is preaching so important? We're talking about why do we pray? Why do we preach? Next week, why do we give? And the following week, why do we sing? Why is preaching so important? Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 5, and we've looked at this a lot. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 5, This is what Paul says, and forgive me because the stuff is usually on that back wall there. I can look at it. But Paul says this, I passed on to you as most important. How important? Most important. Paul is telling the Corinthian church, like he's told the Roman church, I'm giving to you what is most important, what I also received. And here it is. This is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter's other name, then to the twelve. That is most important. That Christ Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Why did he die on the cross for our sins? Because we are born dead, without God, without hope with an eternal destiny separated from the Father forever. That's the bad news. And that is the truth for every human being. But the good news is that God so loved the world, every human, that he gave his son Jesus. And Jesus is the only human who has ever lived without sin. 
And he took all of our sin, the sins of the whole world upon himself, and he shed his precious blood for you and for me and for everyone who has lived. He was buried. Jesus stunk. He was dead. Buried in a tomb, and then three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death. This is great news. It's the most important thing, and Paul is passing it on to the Corinthian church, to the Roman church, and 2,000 years later, to us. We preach the gospel so that those who don't believe can hear and put their faith in Jesus and be forgiven and adopted as sons and daughters. We need to continually preach the gospel to ourselves to remind us and to celebrate God's great mercy and grace that he's given and showered upon us. We need to remind ourselves that even when we've sinned again for the 400 millionth time, our heavenly father still loves you. He still forgives you. His spirit still resides in you. And that there's power in Jesus to break strongholds, to bring healing, to bring comfort, because we have a good, good shepherd who defends us and gives us his peace that passes all understanding. That even when we go through trials and tribulations on this earth, they don't even compare to the glory and hope and love that we'll experience in heaven forever because of what Jesus has done. That is exceedingly incredible hope. We fix our eyes on Jesus. That is why we preach the gospel. We see the gospel all throughout. And guys, I'm going to roll through this so we won't look at the scriptures that much. Sorry, Hunter and Chris, for all the extra work. There is a history of preaching all throughout the Old Testament with all the Old Testament prophets. Mark came, not Mark, sorry, John the Baptist came. We see it in the book of Mark. He came and he preached forgiveness of sins. Jesus came and he traveled all throughout Israel uh, preaching and teaching about the kingdom and the good news. The book of Acts, which we just saw, is is just full of so many sermons of the early church preaching and sharing the love of Jesus. Paul was eager to preach the gospel to the Roman church. And we are called to preach the good news. But there's two sides of that coin. There's two sides to preaching. One is the command to preach. We're all commanded to preach. If it's formally and publicly like this or with your best friend. But there's also the receiving of God's word with eagerness. It's receiving the word of God with eagerness. To close, my prayer for us is found in Acts chapter 17. 10 through 11. Let's stand real quick. Acts chapter 17, 10 through 11. It'll be on the screen. It's about a church called the Berean church. You'll notice that there's no New Testament letter called Bereans. There is Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians. Those are all New Testament churches. Well, there are many other churches that Paul planted. And one was in the city of Berea. And I guess that's, that church must have been so on top of it and so with it that Paul didn't have to write a letter to encourage them and to correct them like he did the Corinthians. 
But right here, when Paul gets to Berea after being thrown out of Thessalonica, where he was whipped and beaten, stoned, he gets to Berea, and this is how it's described, these people in Berea. As soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Upon arrival, they went to the synagogue of the Jews, and that was Paul's strategy every single time. They went to the synagogue of the Jews, and the people here were of more noble character. Say noble. Noble. It's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for me. Why were they more noble? They were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. See, those in Thessalonica, they beat Paul up. They stoned him. But here in Berea, since they received the word with eagerness, they received God's word with eagerness. Have you ever been hungry and you finally are able to eat? Have you ever been thirsty like these hot days? And you finally get a nice, cool glass of water and you just suck it down. I've got a son, and boy, when he drinks water, when he's hot and sweaty, I won't even tell you which son it is, but he's kind of tall and got really, really curly hair. And man, he'll just, got, he'll just gulp that water down. It's like, Eric, chill out, buddy. He's drinking with eagerness. Eric, I told you, be careful. You might be in one of my sermons, right? So yeah. Here's my prayer for us, is that we would be noble. That we would receive God's word every day with eagerness. And then it says right here, and they examine the scriptures daily to see if what Paul and Silas were preaching was true. You all may be seated. Worship team, I want to invite you to come back up. My prayer for us, there are two things. All of us are commanded to preach. Share the gospel. And my prayer for those who you share the gospel with, but also for every single one of us, we would be like this Berean church. We would be of noble character. We would receive God's word with eagerness, and we would examine it every single day to see if what it says is true. You know, we read God's written word to encounter the living word. You'll see posters up in our buildings from time to time. It'll be 365-1511. Why and how? If you're to read the Bible for just 15 minutes a day, all 365 days out of the year, you'd read the whole Bible in one year. And my challenge for each and every one of us, and if you've never read the Bible, because I mean, woof, you can get started in the index and you can start going through Genesis, Numbers, Leviticus, might pronounce it Leviticus. You got Deutera, Deutera, something rather. You'll get to the book of Palms and Job, and you're like, man, forget this. It's crazy. Start in the Gospel of Mark. And if you read one chapter a day, buy a $2 journal book from Walmart. Man, Walmart's going to give me some royalties. I've called them out twice today. Buy a $2 journal from Walmart. Read for 15 minutes, one chapter a day, and then write down one verse in that journal. And then write down one paragraph, why and how that verse speaks to you. I guarantee you, after a year, your relationship with Jesus will be deeper, greater, more profound. He is the living water, and we read his written word 
to encounter the living word. And may our prayer be that we would proclaim the gospel and that we would bump into Bereans all over the city and world as we faithfully preach the gospel and as we receive his word to abide in Christ daily. Let's stand, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you and praise you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Father, I thank you that the Heagles are here. Thank you that Shay is here visiting. We thank you that the Bryants are back. And Jesus, we thank you that Kate is overseas and Hutch is overseas and Andre just left. And all of our other global workers who are all over the world proclaiming, preaching your gospel, Jesus. But Father, this command is for us to open our eyes to see who around us is a Berean. May we be bold and humble and gentle at the same time to preach your truth, Jesus, to receive your truth to abide in you, Jesus, all for your glory. And it's in your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen and amen. As we worship, as we sing, there'll be a couple of us over here at Next Steps. We would love to pray with you. It doesn't matter what it is. My migraine is gone. Thank you for praying. Jesus walks among us. May he be glorified as we worship him.